Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Vandy Sports Podcast. Here's your host, Chris Lee. Commodore fans, on your feet, it's time to anchor down. Welcome to the Vandy Sports Podcast. I'm your host, Chris Lee. In today's episode, Mitch Light of The Athletic joins us. We will talk Vanderbilt basketball and baseball. The title sponsor of our podcast this year is Jody Jones DDS, trusted for his creative design and committed to both the function and aesthetics of your smile. Jody Jones provides a range of sought-after dental and cosmetic dentistry services at his practice in Nashville. He's earned the title of number one in Nashville for his cosmetic dentistry and provides a unique luxury environment for patients who want his famous Hollywood smile or other services. Patients enjoy getting services from Dr. Jones and his attentive team in a spy-like atmosphere. Dr. Jones has worked with many artists, movie stars, and celebrities over the years and is dedicated to providing first-rate results to all of his patients. He never compromises quality so patients can be confident they will always receive the highest level of care Thank you to Jody Jones DDS for making this season of the podcast possible. Mitch Light appears today on our guest line. The guest line is presented by Bowl and Branch, started by Vanderbilt graduates Scott and Missy Tannen. I had no clue how comfortable Bowl and Branch sheets could be until I got some. They are fair trade certified, meaning they are made under safe conditions by men and women treated and paid fairly. Try them free for a month. You can return them, but you won't want to. Once you get the sheets, try the mattress. That was voted the best mattress of 2018. Go to bowlandbranch.com. That is spelled B-O-L-L. Enter the promo code VANDY and get $50 off your first set of sheets. The news today presented by our friends at Sutherland and Belk, a Nashville-based injury law firm. Sutherland and Belk is committed to fighting for those who have been injured in car, motorcycle, and truck accidents. Check them out at sbinjurylaw.com. Lots of news to cover across two sports today. The Commodores are set to play the opening game of the Southeastern Conference Tournament. They'll face Texas A&M in Bridgestone Arena on Wednesday evening at 6 Central. The baseball team keeps rolling. It won its three-game series this past weekend. Vanderbilt defeats Illinois-Chicago in three games. It faces Memphis on Tuesday afternoon. And finally, uh, back to basketball for a moment. Scotty Pippen Jr. makes first-team All-Southeastern Conference. That was announced on Tuesday. Dylan DeSue named the Scholar-Athlete of the Year in the league, so congratulations to those two. Mitch Light joins us from The Athletic, where he is a college football editor. Mitch, I hope you are doing well. I'm getting really excited. This is my favorite time of the year. The sun is out. Tournament time is here. The baseball that matters in college baseball is about to start. I think as a sports fan, it's the best time of the year. And I'm not even a golf guy, so you've got the Masters on top of that. But I just am so excited about what is ahead in the coming weeks. Yep, uh, all good. And things appear to slowly getting back to normal. I got my first COVID shot. I don't know why or how I qualified, but I got an email that said I I could sign up. So I got a COVID shot on Monday. And... uh, uh, got another one in a few weeks, so yeah, th- things are things are looking up, Chris. 
Well, uh, we'll see how things are looking for basketball. I think a little late season flurry of wins here. Uh, raised spirits a little bit. And then, of course, Vanderbilt goes to Ole Miss on Saturday. Doesn't play well. In fact, maybe it's worst game of the year. What are your thoughts on what we've seen with the program the last couple of weeks? Yeah, you know, I thought it was cool that they took the Cincinnati game on and not to like, I don't know, corny's not the right word, but give them credit for adding another road game in the midst of two other road games late in the year. Um, kind of shows that they still want to play. And, they, you know, they I watched most of the Cincinnati game and, and, and played very well that, you know, both teams were shorthanded. Vanderbilt obviously without Dylan DeSue and Cincinnati was missing um, some guys, but you know, Scotty Pippen was was fabulous in that game. And I thought the first four minutes of the second half, Vanderbilt played great basketball, and then and then got a little stagnant offensively, but uh, played great there. It, Ole Miss, we'll we'll never know. I mean, credit Ole Miss, and that was predictable after Vanderbilt beat Ole Miss so shorthanded the previous week. I thought that you know, couple couple thoughts in that game. It was the third road game in, in five days or six days. Did that take its toll on the team? Maybe a little bit. I thought Ole Miss was was very good. And I thought that 1-3-1 one, one defense that, that Kermit Davis plays gives gave Vanderbilt problems a lot because Vanderbilt has smallish guards. And, uh, you know, in, in maybe not having Dylan DeSue against that, a guy who's got long wingspan and can kind of see over the top of the defense, you don't know where he would be on that to, to break that pressure. But I thought Vanderbilt's small guards really had problems. And, uh, yeah, I mean, it was amazing how – almost controlled that game from I guess it was like 10-5 Vanderbilt until the very end and then actually Vanderbilt had a uh not that they were going to win but down nine Jordan Wright drives in and looks like he gets an and one with a minute to go and hey you know cut it to seven or six and you, you never know uh but the, they called a charge and and again not to make excuses or not Vanderbilt was not going to win the game the way they played but that second foul on Scottie Pippen was just a horrendous call. And for a guy who's, as we see today, first team All-SEC, one of the league's leader in free throw shooting to not get that call. Uh, and one thing, this is a Stackhouse, North Carolina family tree thing that the 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 take take your guy out with two fouls and don't play him the rest of the half. I don't necessarily agree with that, especially with a guard. I think a guard can control themselves a little better. Remember Eddie Fogler used to do that all the time without fail when I was in college as the Vanderbilt coach. And um, we clearly saw how important Scottie Pippen was was to the team in, in that game. Yeah, I thought that was probably his worst coaching move of the year because he leaves that game. They're up sixteen to fourteen. He sits the final nine minutes, give or take a few seconds, and they're down twelve at half. Just I didn't understand it. I think what you said was accurate. It was it's a North Carolina coaching tree thing. And then the weird thing though is the second half. He starts it, they have about a nine-minute stretch where he's in, and it's the worst stretch of ball they played all year. So it was just really bizarre how that played out because they went from down 12 to down 25, then Stackhouse takes Pippen out. He doesn't play the rest of the game. Then the comeback happens, although I, I think that was yeah. really more of a factor of uh, the, the, the game's over and people let their guards down at that point than anything. But it was really weird how that whole thing played out. Yeah, and I don't know if Scott, you know, Scotty coming back from his injury, if he was banged up a little bit, or if he stack was just like, you know what, we're we're clearly not going to win this game, and uh, don't want to, you know, I want to give him some rest there. Um, yeah, th there's been some games where he's taking guys out with two fouls, and and Vanderbilt's kind of survived it. So you know, if you, you take him out, and 
if Vanderbilt's treading water only down by a few, you, you keep them out. I, I still don't necessarily agree with that that philosophy. I think you need your best players on the court, and you, you you just roll the dice there and hope he doesn't foul. But but clearly the game was getting away from them at that point. So um, yeah, so you know it, it's it, it's like you you said at the outset, some late season wins have have created a little bit of optimism, momentum. You know, would have loved to seen a healthy Dassault down the stretch. Uh, those two guys playing as Jordan Wright kind of takes on a, a, a bigger role and and guys like uh, McBride are, are, are shooting the ball better. And I think Trey Thomas has shown more uh, at times in the, the last month or so. So, um, you know, the, their LSU game was just one of those athletically outclassed on the road against the team that was just played well. That, that happens to, to good that's happened to a lot of good Vanderbilt teams to go on the road to a place like LSU or whatever and get, get run out of the gym there. So, you know, we'll, we'll see what happens. Texas A&M actually coming back from their pause has played pretty well. Had Arkansas down in Fayetteville late, like under four minutes, I think, uh, before losing that game. So uh, they're a team that underachieved throughout the before the COVID pauses. But, you know, I, I don't think we kind of know what to expect from Texas A&M really. Yeah, Emmanuel Miller at A&M pulled the rare feat of his team lost two games and he got conference player of the week. I don't know that I've seen that before. DeSue. DeSue got it this oh, year. Oh, that's right. So it's happened, it's happened twice in a month. You're correct. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I am actually applaud the league for that. I think that there's always this, and especially you see it in football, this attitude that if your team doesn't win, then you don't deserve an award or this. And my status, or my take on it is, Okay, okay. <laughs> your team lost, but maybe how much worse would it would have been without the the guy that showed out for you? But anyway, uh, you mentioned Jordan Wright. I had notices till now. Right now is on a five game streak of double digit scoring, and he has played at least twenty nine minutes with a high of thirty four during that spell. Now I don't think Jordan Wright is going to jump up and be an All SEC player. But we've said all along they need supporting guys. And to me, one of the bright spots at the end of the year is he's kind of jumped up and become one of those guys for him, it appears. Yes. Um, a a good role player um, who could do some good things on a team with two other really good players. And so that's what kind of what we've seen, even though DeSue hasn't played in the last week. And he has done a – much better job of late scoring inside does not get his shot blocked as much. He's kind of, you know, crafty and it, it's kind of a cliche at this point, but every announcer kind of makes the analogy. It looks like, a, you know, a YMCA player out there, but it's true. You know, he looks, he kind of has an old man game there and he can hit the, the three pointer if he's open and he can drive the lane. Now he does turn the ball over sometimes, but he's been forced to take on a lot, especially since the Sioux has been out. And obviously when Pippen was out, he's been forced to take on a larger part of the, you know, the offense than probably he's, you know, the, the, they would like there. So yeah, it's been, it's been nice to see him emerge as a, a consistent, uh, uh, just a guy that you can keep on the floor for, for 26 to 30 minutes a game. You know, I know there's not one answer here, but you look at like Arkansas and Kentucky and they've got these long, lean, quick athletes. This team just isn't that. I don't know if it's a recruiting philosophy or they just happen to land guys like that, but they're built differently than every team in the league or most of the teams in the league, it looks like. And I'm not saying that other teams don't have that bigger, stockier guy. They do, but just it's interesting to watch the body types and compare them to the league because I think that's a place they're going to have to get a lot better because I think offensively Jerry Stackhouse has shown he's a pretty 
good tactician and player developer with his really good players, but they've been really bad on defense for two years running, and I don't know how you fix that without getting kids that look more like the rest of the league. Yeah, I, I would call Dylan DeSue long and athletic. I think Miles Studi has the chance to be – he's struggled. Shooting's been really bad and hasn't played as many minutes. You know, it was kind of a thing when I was in school in the early 90s. You know, Vanderbilt just – you know, Vanderbilt looked different than – a lot of the teams in the league and and shot the ball better at a time before three-point shooting was at a premium and just was sort of constructed differently. I think this is more of a big picture thing. When Jan Van Bredekoff came, he tried to get a little bit more athletic and then sometimes that resulted in some guys not being as good basketball players. I think Kevin Stallings kind of melded the two and had a lot of good shooters, obviously a lot of good offensive players, uh, but then could kind of counter that with some – some good athletes and, and some better defensive players. So yeah, it's, I, I, I don't know if it's a philosophy or what it is that are just kind of landed at this spot where they are right now, but yeah. And, uh, and th- they do need to get more athletic that, that you know, you, you watch the LSU game, you know, I, I think that stuff gets exacerbated when you lose, you kind of, you, you, I think that that happened to Belmont the other day, you know, Belmont's for the OVC that they're, they're a great, you know, they're, they're just a really good basketball team. They're fun to watch offensively, but when they're not playing well, and they didn't play well against Moorhead State. I watched virtually the whole game. You look at that and say, wow, they, they just got outclassed athletically. So, again, it, it, that, that stuff kind of rears its head when, when you lose. Um, and I think that's kind of been Vanderbilt's problems at, at times this year. I want to switch gears to a league-wide topic for a minute. And Blake Lovell and I talked about this on the SEC podcast I do over at southeastern14.com. And I'm, I'm going to put you on the spot, and this is not to make you look bad. It's to prove a point, or at least to see how you answer this. Name the three best shooters in the SEC right now off the top of your head. Okay, well, I, I will preface this by saying I do not follow – I don't – I have not watched as much SEC basketball as I normally do, partly as my job. Like when I was half on sports, I was the editor of the college basketball magazine. So now I'm just sort of like a, a fan of SEC basketball. Um, uh, you know, so so – I'm probably not going to be good at answering that question. So, um, I mean, I think Scottie Pippen, I don't know what even know what his percentage is. Cam Thomas, um, I don't know what his percentage is either, the LSU guard. So, um, I mean, Dante Allen's a good shooter at Kentucky, but um, let me think. Um, I don't know. Jump in here because I don't have a lot of great answers. Well, let me cheat a little bit for you. I, you I think even if you had researched it, it's a hard question to answer, which was my point. And, like, I know that you follow basketball enough that, like, even though it's not your job full-time, you watch enough that yeah. usually we can say, oh, well, it's um, it's Lee Humphrey or it's yeah. or it's uh, Barry Booker. I mean, like, or Chris Lofton or any number of players. Like, this year, and it's not that it's a terrible shooting league, but I don't ever remember a year where you can't just off the top of your head identify – uh, the, these guys are the shooters, and I would say Cam Thomas is probably more of a scorer than a shooter. Yeah. Um, you know, Pippen is is a good player, but like when you think of Scottie Pippen Jr., you don't think a shooter. You think of point guard who does a lot of things really well. It is a really weird year for the league because I think I don't remember a year where when you said let's name the top shooters in the league. There's always these these wings that come to your mind, or or maybe a you know like a Travis Ford or somebody like that where. Although Ford was a point guard, but point is, there's always guys that that pop to the top of your head, even if you just watch the league on a casual level, and there just really aren't that this year. 
Yeah, I think that's fair. Again, uh, you know, Arkansas had some who's Isaiah Joe's in the NBA now. Um, but yeah, I, I, I think that's fair. Uh, it's an int- interesting point. Look, Pippen's at 39%. I think he's shot the ball. I don't know. I, I know you are what you are as far as shooting percentage, but uh, he seems like he, he makes more than whatever 39% of his threes. Yeah, and maybe the point is he's better than we give him credit for, which I think is is probably fair. Cam Thomas, by the way, a 31% three-point shooter. Oh, wow. Yeah, Top so one right. on LSU is Javante Smart at 44%. He's also actually hit more than Cam Thomas has, too. But I, I don't want to get us too sidetracked there uh, because we got some baseball to talk. But before we shift over to baseball, any basketball-related topics we didn't cover then? Uh, no, not really. Not really. You know, we'll... we'll uh... Um, my, I don't want to go too far on a limb for this, but I've made the point several times that I think I wouldn't give up on Quentin Malora Brown. And I always use the Yanni Wetzel, although they're not the exact same player about how it took Wetzel like two thirds of a season to kind of get up to the speed of the game. And obviously had a good year. I've seen Malora Brown play better in recent games. So there's some hope that, that next year he can be more of a consistent contributor. Is that, you see any of that? Um, I'm looking at stat lines. I, I think I haven't I just, noticed. I'm, I'm still more for um, the eyeball, just watching. Yeah. He converted. He's converted. You know, there's a stretch there where he really could not finish inside. Uh, I bet, you know, I'd have to go game by game. I bet his shooting person, he doesn't shoot a lot, but I bet his success rate on the shots is, 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 you know, much better recently than it's been. Uh, well, he's, he's two for two, three for five and two for three, the last three games. So there's that. Um, there you go. Yeah, I mean, he's he's got, I think, his best three-game minute stretch since before conference play started. Uh, so there's that, too. Now, I know they were really high on him when he got here, and I think that was probably a misevaluation, but maybe that's also a case where the truth lies somewhere in between. Yeah, so um, you heard it here first when he's player of the year, SEC player of the year in two years. That's right. Uh, <laughs> put your money down at DraftKings today, guys. Yeah. Uh, and thank Mitch, Mitch Light for that. But um, seriously, baseball, oh, there's a lot of ways we can go here. Let's start here. The lineup I wrote about yesterday in the 3-2-1, and you could kind of see this coming, right? You could see that Romero hit those two home runs a week ago, that Rodriguez was not really driving the ball. So all of a sudden you got a situation where the odd man out at catcher uh, has got a potential DH spot. Jason Gonzalez didn't really start the year well defensively. He's splitting time with Parker Nolan, where Nolan is the DH for the first eight games to start the season, and Gonzalez is third. You see Nolan roll out there at third this weekend, so you're like, okay, Gonzalez probably gets first crack at DH, but then you got the Romero dynamic. Spencer Jones out of nowhere return. None of us were expecting that. Uh, You had Jack Bolger get some playing time as a result of the Cooper Davis injury. So you throw this all into one pot, and oh, by the way, Isaiah Thomas uh, has struck out a lot, and he got a seat Sunday, so they moved Davis from left to right. That's a lot to digest right there, but the point I'm making is all of a sudden you've got a lot of bats and not room for all of them. What do you do if you're Tim Corbin going forward with your lineup? Yeah, that's a a, – did you mention Spencer Jones? I I think I did. I meant to. Yeah, Yeah. Yeah, so he DH'd and hit the ball off the wall there. Um, yeah, it's an interesting situation. And, and, and Romero 
one thing about Romero, I mean, great game, obviously, last Sunday, and he's proven since. He's hit the ball hard, but in, in the coaches know this better than anyone. Sometimes we, we might get uh, put too much stock in one game against, you know, Georgia State's a four-game series, and, and they clearly ran out of pitching there. But, again, I'm not trying to take anything away from him. So I, I'm interested to see, you know, the, the Gonzalez and Isaiah Thomas are the ones that worth are worth monitoring because they're, you know, they're, they're – age in there in who they are now thomas has just really struggled even some of his base hits have been kind of soft you know ground balls that found a hole um he's you know obviously at that that huge home run on opening day there i think and rightfully so he will get every opportunity to 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 keep stay in the lineup i i think you know he just he's as there's not many known quantities on this this team but he proved early last year again not against sec pitching but he proved he could swing the bat, but he's just striking out a lot there. And, um, you know, Jason Gonzalez has hit the ball well from an average standpoint. Um, but, uh, and I was there Saturday, you know, he, he got out in some key opportunities there. So yeah, I, I, to answer your question, I, I don't know. Um, I think we'll just, he'll continue to that, that core of, of nine, you know, 12 guys for nine spots or whatever. So he'll keep moving things around obviously Dominic Keegan Carter Young there's certain guys that are going to stay in that lineup uh I think Enrique Bradfield Jr you know what he brings from a speed standpoint in defense and he's hit the ball enough there so I, I would say it's a it's a good problem to have with the only problem is that you really really need you know want Isaiah Thomas to be a consistent guy who you can bat third fourth or fifth in this lineup and so, so far he's not shown that he can do that you know I think this is a lineup and you make different lineups for different things in different parks and different opponents. And sometimes they might run into a string of right-handers or left-handers. And you see a platoon, which I, I think at third, my guess is whoever gets the hot hand defensively uh, is probably going to man that position because it seems like they're they're kind of on equal footing there as hitters uh, between Nolan and Gonzalez. But you look at the the guys in this lineup that can really hit the ball – Keegan's got four home runs and is past the look test and then some. Carter Young's got four home runs to the astonishment, I think, of everybody. We've always known Jason Gonzalez had a lot of raw power if he can tap into it. Same thing for Isaiah Thomas. Tate Colwick has been a real power bat for them in practice. Uh, Jack Bolger, you saw him get his first one. I think he's got a lot of pop in there. Romero, you know, you mentioned the Georgia State game where he hit two home runs and not making too much of it. Well, there's some supporting data there, too. I saw him do that in a scrimmage game where he popped a couple, and you've heard Tim Corbin drop the Pedro Alvarez comp. Not that you build a lineup around power, uh, but, but oh, by the way, Spencer Jones has got, I think, a good bit of pop in there, too, although Spencer can do a lot of things. You all of a sudden look at this lineup, or, or maybe not the lineup, the roster, because <laughs> there's debate about what you do in terms of a lineup, but I think this is a team that's got a lot of guys that have got a lot of pop there. Now, we'll we'll see how that plays out. Some of these guys, you know, it won't manifest. And, and some of these guys we mentioned, you know, maybe somebody in that bunch jumps up and has a, a 10 home run season other than Young or Keegan. But my point is, you've got a lot of guys where you're seeing home run pop in the bat in spots, and it makes for some interesting discussions. Yeah, no doubt about it. And I think the fact that Carter Young's emerged as a home run threat is – kind of surprising and you know he's he's been very consistent not a guy you counted on there so I think you know that, that we're spoiled by that uh watching that 2019 team how much power they had but I, I think in college baseball 
you can build a really good lineup with maybe one or two guys who can provide consistent home run power and then just sprinkle throughout your other lineup guys who maybe hit anywhere from four to six or seven. Just like if they hit one out, it's not a big, it's not like a shock, but they're not consistent. You know, I think Venerable's had, I'm trying to think some, some, some comparisons for that. It seems like Venerable's had a lot of those guys over the years where just, okay, they, they drive one out in a key spot that that's good, but they're not those 12 to 15 home run guys that you, you see in college baseball. And I think that's what guys like, you know, Parker Nolan, Tate Colwick, some of those guys can be, you know, maybe they hit six or seven home runs this year. Well, the other thing is on-base ability, and I think they're second in the league in on-base percentage. And the benchmark I kind of look for is a 400 on-base percentage. Right now, they got a lot of guys above that. They've got Keegan, 659, Young, 447, Bradfield, 513, Gonzalez, 444, Nolan, 405, Rodriguez, 478, Romero, 500. Now, again, these are going to drop because they're playing sure. pitching that, that's not going to be comparable to what's ahead but you got a couple other guys you know Thomas even with a tough season at 375 Colwick at 381 that's another thing I like is you see some guys here that are taking a lot of walks and getting on base and in a league with the pitching is just unbelievable and, and check out the national stats there's going to be some nights where you're not hitting the other guy but he's not finding the zone either so I like the fact that you've got a lot of guys that are showing some discipline and being able to reach base on walk or hit by pitches as well. Yeah, no doubt about it. We've seen that from Vanderbilt's elite pitching too. Both you, Jack Leiter and and, uh, and Kumar Rocker having trouble in an inning here or there, you know, finding the zone, walking a couple guys. And, you know, if you're playing Mississippi State and it's a Friday night and their guy walks a couple guys, you get a bloop single or a line drive, score two runs, that might be enough to win a game. So, yeah, clearly you like the guys taking the pitches and getting on base there. Um, so, yeah, I mean, there's we'll find out more. We go to Oklahoma State this weekend, uh, find out more, obviously. But I, I think the, the offense is, I don't know what we call it, a surprise. Or is, it, I, like the, I like where it's trending, put it that way. Yeah, so, so do I. I mean, the pitching – I'm just kind of running out of things to say because everybody knows Locker and Ryder. We've talked about the depth. We see the strikeouts. Um, I think you said Locker and Ryder, by the way. Locker and Ryder. Probably won't be the first time. They, they've got even more than I thought. So, yeah, yeah I mean, what have you got beyond that? Not much. Um, it just It's the depth. And I'll tell you, like, I was watching something or something came online like the 2019 team, as good as that was, and whatever, the 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 depth of the reliable arms. Now I know Zach. I'm using. I'm not picking on Zach King or whatever. I'm using him as an example. Here's a guy that you know early in his career w- was better, and Tim Corbin liked him and always gave him a, a opportunities uh, to to kind of right the ship, and he he did do so. But you know Zach King was a key bullpen arm for that national championship team, and I can think of like five or six bullpen arms that you rank ahead of him as guys you trust right now on this team. Um, just the point being, there's there's very few guys they roll out there where you're like, oh, you know, I, I hope this guy's on today. You just expect them to be on. And I made it like Ethan Smith, um, who who's you know proven it so far in his career. He, he you know he gave up a home run in the Georgia State series. He came out, I think, the first batter he faced in a line drive in the in the uh the game on Sunday and then he looked great after that so I was thinking to myself okay well Ethan Smith's you know giving up a little too much hard contact this year but then he was lights out I think the last six or seven batters so uh long-winded answer of saying 
pretty much every guy they throw out there, I, I have a high trust level in. Well, it seems like they have sort of settled into roles, right? Like, you know, the starters are going to be Leiter, Rocker, and Schultz. The in-game guys, I have a feeling he'll ride the hot hand between Luke Murphy and Ethan Smith, or maybe that's just reading into it what sure. I would do, but that's what he did this weekend, and I thought it worked. Um, he likes Maldonado in that sixth inning kind of area, and I, I think the same thing with Chris McElwain, although I think McElwain's got a dimension, too, on top of that where He's more of a longer relief guy. So if you've got a guy faltering in the third or fourth, that's probably where McIlwain comes in, or McIlvain, excuse me. And I feel like I'm missing somebody. We don't know where Hugh Fisher settles in yet. Did you mention Laboki? Well, yeah, and Laboki, that was interesting to see him throw this weekend because I think he's their four, a midweek guy, and I don't know that the way they used him rules him out. But well, Christian Lebo- Little starting today. Oh, okay, I, I, I had not seen that. Well, that's interesting. Then I guess that makes Laboki their long guy and probably an option ahead of McIlvain. Maybe McIlvain and Maldonado take that sixth, seventh inning role where Laboki's your guy that you bring in if you think you're going to need somebody for three to four innings. But, I mean, however you slice it, I think they've got it covered. Yeah, I, I think in my years of watching SEC baseball, I think the most underrated player on the team, if you've got him, and some variable teams have had him, some haven't, is that – really reliable swing reliever who you can just bring in on a Friday night. If your starter last three innings, he can go six or seven, or he can get a couple outs on Friday and come back on Sunday that you have a lot of confidence in. And I, I don't know if the numbers will back this up entirely, but on, on Tim Corbin's first, maybe it was the two, 2017. Remember Tyler Davis? Yeah. I think he had that role. He just whatever whatever they needed him, they brought him in. I, I I'd have to go back and look, and maybe the numbers are will tell me a different story. But I bet his numbers were really good coming out of the bullpen. Well, Davis sort of was a later bloomer. Like he didn't do much the first year or two. It's funny when you mention that area, that that era. Excuse me. The first two guys I thought of were Matt Bushman and Jensen Lewis. Because you saw Bush, you saw both those guys pitch as starters and out of the pen. I'll never forget Bushman goes down. To Baton Rouge, I think it was. Oh man, uh, maybe maybe oh five, oh six, oh four, uh, somewhere in there. And like they they lose the first two close games to LSU, and then Bushman goes out on Sunday, and I think goes complete game, and I think they win at something like eight nothing. But yeah, he, Lewis and Bushman were like the the first two guys who did that. Uh, but but I think some of the guys that they've got now with no offense to either of those guys, have maybe got a little bit more talent. Certainly, maybe a little bit more polish, I guess, is a better way to put it. Because Bushman and Jensen Lewis both threw in the big leagues. Uh, but, yeah, I, I, I'm with you. always like having that guy. And I think Ethan Smith entered the season maybe as that guy for them. But maybe they, they seem to like he and Murphy Moore's in-game guys where they can let it out a little bit more. Laboki, I think, is more suited to that because he's more of like a 91 guy, but he's always going to throw strikes. Um, and, and and they just, man, it just seems like that guy's good every time out. So uh, I just like the way that they've got it structured right now. Yeah, totally agree. And a lot of options. And I think we mentioned this guy last week, you know, like Hunter Owen come out of the bullpen, a guy I, only two games, but liked what I saw, you know, even though he gave up some runs there, liked what I saw. Uh, I'll be interested to see how Christian Little throws today because he was great in that first start and then coming out of the bullpen 
in a mop-up duty against Georgia State, gave up a couple home runs. Maybe he was just trying to throw strikes and, you know, wasn't as focused as he needed to be there. But, uh, you know, you know, I, I don't know too much. Uh, my guess is Memphis is a pretty good team. You know, they're usually kind of middle of the pack in the AAC. Uh, that, you know, he, you can't just go there and just throw the ball over the plate. You're going to have to, you know, pitch a good game uh, against this team. I'm, I'm sure they probably have some good bats in there, so it'll be interesting to see how he throws. Yeah, he's kind of got that Mark Appel thing going right now to where the stuff is better than the strikeouts, which is really odd in a day and age where everybody's striking out people. He's only struck out two in four innings, and he's given up a couple homers too. There's something there, and I'm sure they'll work with it and find it, something that needs refining just a little bit in terms of his dominance because it seems like when you watch him, He's around the plate. He's throwing different pitches. Like, I think he is exceptionally gifted for a freshman, but there's like one little plug-in missing that I think as soon as they tap into that, it'll be very interesting to see what he does. Yeah, and, and as we mentioned, they have a lot of options for midweek guys, so the fact that they you know, throwing him out there today is, is pretty interesting. You know, the other guy that's kind of intriguing is Miles Garrett. Because yes, I think no, I his, like, his velo... Yeah, I mean, I didn't think he'd have much of a role, but he's like come in in spots where it's not 12-1, to 1, if I recall correctly, and thrown pretty well. I mean, he looks like he's got some dominance. He's got some different pitches. That's a kid who's popped up. And, and look, I, I think at the end of the year, if he's got more than you know, 20, 25 innings pitch, I'll be surprised. And frankly, I'll probably be surprised if he reaches 20. But that's a kid who has sort of made a move, along with Hunter Owen, you mentioned him too, sort of making themselves factors in a situation where that's really tough to do. Yep. And you don't necessarily get a lot of opportunities because there's so many, so much competition. So, you you know, you got to, whether it's pressure on the guys or whatever, you, you got to be on your game uh, because again, there's, there's three or four other guys right behind you in the bullpen that, that can, can pounce on that opportunity. Mitch, I know you're up and against an appointment here, so I want to go ahead and close the podcast out today. I'll give you the floor for any final thoughts we didn't get to. And, of course, also I wanted to give you a chance to promote uh, the work at The Athletic. I see that you guys have come out on a, with a piece, I think, on Clark Lee, maybe this morning and Barton Simmons. So the floor is yours to wrap up any loose ends we didn't get to and promote any work that you would like to promote. Yeah, well, thanks for having me. And my Twitter handle is at Mitch Light. Yeah, Joe Rexwood has a really good story today on Clark Lee, Barton Simmons, and Earl Bennett. Kind of the the way the you know the the non coaching staff structure in their recruiting plan and stuff like that. So Joe always does real good stuff with that. All right, and give out your Twitter handle if you would please. Uh, at Mitch Light. All right, he is Mitch Light. I'm Chris Lee. Thank you for listening to the Vandy Sports Podcast. We've got a couple of episodes coming later this week, so be sure to watch for those.